Well, thanks for being here. First of all, uh, I just want to say I have the opportunity to serve on staff with some really awesome people. I was thinking about it today. We uh, One of the things that we do on staff some of the times is we play some darts. We like to get pretty competitive with it. And, uh, me and Matt were on a team today and we lost to Anders and Pastor Nate. You know, Amen. Uh, <laughs> Blessed are the meek. We'll be talking about that. <laughs> but I, I was just thinking about it today and, and even with John and, and John speaking uh, the first week and he's going to be speaking some more. Our church is just really blessed um, for the staff that we have right now and the elders that we have. And uh, I, I just can't help but be so thankful for that because not every church has what we have here. Amen. Uh, and that's not in a prideful way towards staff. Or, but our congregation, everything, uh, from a standpoint of the worship pastor gathering every week and just hearing people sing out songs and glorifying God through that, uh, I'm encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. And uh, let's dive into this tonight. I'm excited to keep going with the Beatitudes. And I, I want to start off by giving some credit where credit's due. And uh, as I put together this week's teaching, I used a lot of different resources to do so. Um, I threw a couple of them up here just in case anybody wanted to take a look at them uh, when we're done. I know Anders referenced last week uh, the studies in the Sermon on the Mount by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, this is a really great overview of the whole Sermon on the Mount. And then obviously the MacArthur Bible Commentary. This is kind of a, a broad overall the Bible, but he also has specific uh, books of the Bible, obviously, that he goes through. And then this Good Living Guide, I think Matt gave that uh, to us. And it's a really awesome resource, especially for like individual study. It's got questions in it. It's got things that you can go through and answer on your own. And so I just want to throw that out there uh, as we go through this. The other person that I really uh, leaned hard on this week was John Piper and uh, Desiring God. He, he has a lot of great stuff. And specifically, as I was looking up stuff on this passage, it was really awesome. So uh, the reason I say that is because uh, all these men have spent their lives devoted to going through God's word and writing commentaries and, and blogs and podcasts. And I never want to take credit for their diligence, if that makes sense. You know, I take a week and I compile it all together and put it, but these men have spent so much of their time and so much schooling to put things like that together. And praise God that we have men like that to help us understand the, the Bible. So uh, with that, let's pray for this week. Lord, we do pray that as we go through the Beatitudes, Lord, that, um, that as we see the character that your people are supposed to have, the followers you are supposed to have, Lord, I recognize that not all of us can relate to these things because we are growing in them. But Lord, I pray that you would give us grace as we grow in our, uh, our knowledge of you. And Lord, I pray that tonight would be um, edifying to all of us and that we would grow from this and know more about your character and uh, how we can emulate ourselves like you. And so, Lord, we ask that graciously in your name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, I wasn't here the first week, uh, but if we remember a, a few things first, I, I believe John spoke on the first week, and he talked about what the word blessed or blessed means, okay? And it means happiness or joy, but it's much more than just a surface emotion, okay? Uh, I love John MacArthur's description of this. He said it's divinely bestowed well-being that belongs only to the faithful. Let me say that one more time. Divinely bestowed well-being that belongs only to the faithful. So in the Beatitudes, we find not the world's definition of happiness, but we find heavenly blessedness. Okay, We see the character of true faith. And uh, we've already gone through the first week. If you weren't here, we went through the poor in spirit. And then last week, I thought Anders did an absolute phenomenal job of uh, walking us through uh, blessed are those who mourn. 
And so today we are in Matthew 5, 5 in your Bible, if you want to turn to that. And uh, it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we're going to begin today uh, with the first part of this verse. And let's start off by laying a foundation of what the word meek means. Because if we're all honest in here, the word meek is not a word that we use a lot nowadays. There's many other words that we'd probably use in place of that. And so here's a, here's a quick definition of just the word meek. Quiet, gentle, submissive, patient, long-suffering. Let me say that one more time. Quiet, gentle, submissive, patient, long-suffering. Now, we have to realize that in every single beatitude, it's going to tell us about God and his character. And if that's true, then we have to ask the question tonight, what does meekness have to do with God? And this question should be really important to us as followers of Christ, because if we don't know the answer to it, how are we to fulfill it? And we see in verse uh, 16, later on, if you go Matthew 5, verse 16, we see Jesus say, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So from that, we can understand why Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. So the Father would get the glory for the way his disciples lived. And so for all of us in this room that are followers of Christ... That is the goal of our life, is to live in such a way that brings glory to God. Jesus wanted to create a lifestyle in his disciples that would make people think about the value of God. So it's important to know that Jesus, in this specific area, I was thinking about this, and it, he's not talking about someone's natural personality. Okay, we, we naturally know people that are they're calm, they're submissive, they're quiet, they're, they're laid back. But that's not what he's talking about. That's a, that's a natural personality trait or manners that they have learned for their own sake. Uh, some people are naturally that way. But what Jesus is addressing here in meekness is something that is to be learned. Okay, this is something that we are supposed to learn. So getting back to what we were talking about and placing a high value on God, if we remember the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9, uh, what does Jesus start out by saying? Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, right? He's giving glory to God the Father right away. And this was the passion of Jesus' life, so therefore, it should be our passion to glorify God with the way we conduct ourselves. So if we go back to the question, what does meekness have to do with God, let's ask this question. How does becoming meek and being meek bring glory to God? Okay, and what we're going to do is we're going to turn our Bibles to Psalm 37. We're going to go into the Old Testament. We're going to go to Psalm 37. So I'll give you a second to turn there, and then we'll uh, move on. 37. Psalm 37. And if you want to go to verse 11, Psalm 37, verse 11. We're going to be jumping around this psalm, so we're going to mainly be in there tonight. And verse 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Uh, some translations say abundant prosperity. And then in Matthew 5, it says, The meek shall inherit the earth. And so 
we're seeing the Old Testament Hebrew, we're seeing the New Testament Greek. What's interesting in that is the word for land in Greek and Hebrew also means earth. Okay, so we're seeing that these mean the same thing. So uh, let's try to see what meek this means according to this psalm and what it has to do with God. So go to verse 9 and verse 11, and we're going to notice a parallel here. Okay, verse 11 says, the meek shall inherit the land, and, and verse 9b goes on to say, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So the first conclusion that we can come to would be that meek are people who wait for the Lord. So now we come to another question. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? So what we are going to do is we're going to go back further in this psalm, Psalm 37, and we're going to read verses 5 through 8. Is anybody in here brave enough to read 5 through 8? If not, I've got it right here and I'll do it. 5 through 8. I got it. Oh, I already called on Dennis. I'm sorry. (laughs) Good job, Dennis. (laughs) (laughs) Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness in the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Thank you for reading that. And I know everybody's Bible, depending on what translation you have, it may read a little different, but we, we, see, the, we see the body there of that, okay? We, we, we see what these people are like who, according to verse 11, are meek, and according to verse 9, wait for the Lord. What are they like? Let's take these verses and see if we can get a picture of what they look like. So uh, if you want to take notes here, I'm going to have four points for you. And the first one that we learn about people who are marked by meekness is this. The meek trust God. The meek trust God. Okay? Uh, Meek people begin by trusting God. If you see that in uh, verse 5, the second part there. They believe that he will work for them and vindicate them when others oppose them. Okay, biblical meekness is rooted in deep confidence that God is for you and not against you. And this is very contradictory to what our world teaches nowadays. If we think about this, most of the things that we read or uh, the self-help books out there or anything are telling you to trust yourself. They're telling you, hey, go with your gut. You are enough. Uh, you know, you can do this. And it, it, it's all this pats on the back and, and, and you don't need anybody else. You don't need anything else. You're good to go. But that's where we fall into sin <laughs> is when we get like that. The, the meek man or woman trusts God. We can't trust ourselves. The Bible makes that very clear, that we can't trust ourselves. No, we trust in the one who knew no sin, yet still died for sinners. And so with all of these points, I started thinking to myself, okay, well, let's relate this to Christ's life. Did Christ, when he was here on earth, trust God the Father? Absolutely. Did he believe the Father would vindicate him when people oppose him? Absolutely. Did he have deep confidence that the Father was for him and not against him? Absolutely. So when we see this, we see the perfect example of this first point in none other than Jesus. Jesus trusted God the Father. We are called to trust the Lord. Number two, the meek commit their way to God. Meek people commit their way to the Lord. And we see that in the first part of verse 5 in this Psalm 37. 
The Hebrew word for commit is galal, and it means literally to roll. Okay, to roll. So meek people discover that God is trustworthy, as we went over in point one. And so they roll their way. What do I mean by roll their way? I mean their business, their problems, their relationships, their health, their fears, their frustrations. They roll it onto the Lord. They admit that they are insufficient to cope with the complexities and pressures and obstacles that life throws their way, and they trust that God is able and willing to sustain them and guide them and protect them. Now, this is a lot easier said than done. It's one thing to say if you're going through a health problem to have uh, to trust in the Lord, or if, if, if you're going through financial troubles or marriage struggles or relationship things, it's, it's very easy to say, yeah, the meek people trust the Lord. But doing that and rolling your cares onto him uh, looks a lot different in day-to-day -day life. And so that's why we have to be in our word. We have to continually be reminding ourselves of biblical truths because we will abandon them so easily if we're not careful. If we're left to our own devices, we will abandon those. We sing the song all the time, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We, we are. We are those people that are prone to wander. So let's not wander. <laughs> let's be in our words daily. Let's pray. Uh, again, did we see this in the life of Jesus? Did Jesus commit his way when he walked to the Lord or to, to the Father? Absolutely he did. In fact, even in his most pressured hour, if you remember when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in, in Matthew 26, 39, uh, what does he say? Not as I will, but as you will. He knew the steps he had to walk that were preordained, and he was committed to them. So the meek are also committed, even when being a Christian isn't popular. Let's talk about that for a second. It was not popular to be a follower of Christ when Christ was walking the earth. Well, it was for a little. <laughs> and then drastically, nobody wanted anything to do with him. Do we see this in our day? Being a Christian nowadays is becoming more and more unpopular. Now, we may not feel that as much. Uh, we kind of have it made where we're at for the most part. We, we live in a pretty conservative area and, and values and different things. But you go to other places and you'll get spit on. You'll get hit. You'll get beaten. I mean, there are many places around the world where they have to meet for church on Sundays in hiding. Uh, because they could be persecuted, thrown in jail, or even killed believing in Christ and following Christ. But the meek man or woman commits their way to God. They commit all that they are to God. Point number three, the meek are quiet before God and wait for him. Now if you go on in that psalm according to verse 7a, first part of that, meek people are quiet or still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So, so let's, let's do this in order. First, they discover that God can be trusted. And then second, they commit their way to him since they trust him. And then third, they wait patiently in stillness for the work of God in their lives. Now, let's make a distinction here. This, I am not saying meek people are lazy. Okay, That's not what I'm saying here is we become lazy. That doesn't mean we don't pray anymore. That doesn't mean we're not in our word and we just sit around waiting for a voice in the sky to say something to us. That's not what it's saying here, okay? But they have a kind of steady calm that comes from knowing God 
is an omnipotent, that he has their affairs under control, and that he is gracious and will work things out for the best, okay? They, they are confident in God's timing. Now, each and every one of us in this room can probably admit that we've been frustrated at God's timing at some point in our lives. Amen. And that is something that can be very challenging because, but, but here's the scary thing when we do that. When we think a situation should have turned out different, when we think, uh, God, you should have done this then, we're really telling God in all of our sinfulness that we know better than a completely holy and perfect God. And it really makes us look dumb. Because we have God who knows everything, who is working all things for his glory and for our good. Yet sometimes we rebel against that and say, God, I would have done it different. And we don't catch ourselves doing it, but we get that frustration. Now again, do, do we see this? Me, uh, let me say this line. Meek people have a quiet steadiness about their lives in the midst of upheaval and chaos. Do we see that in the life of Jesus? Was Jesus calm and collected in some pretty crazy circumstances? Yes. As I said before, if you want to see a meek man in the Bible, look no further than Jesus Christ. He's the perfect example. And then point number four, the meek don't fret over the wicked. So in verse 7b, we see this fourth characteristic is that they don't fret themselves over the wicked who prosper in their way. Or as in verse 8 says, they refrain from anger. Their family and work and life are in God's sovereign hands. They trust him. They wait patiently and quietly to see how his power and goodness will work things out. And so setbacks and obstacles and opponents of life do not produce the kind of bitterness and anger and fretfulness that is so common among men and women. I mean, it does not, you do not have to look far to see people that are filled with bitterness and anger. And you want to know what? A lot of them exist within the church. Because we don't always trust God. And we don't always forgive. And we hold on to things longer than we should. And we're not reminding ourselves of biblical truths. And so this is saying that the meek person doesn't have to hang on to that bitterness, doesn't have to hang on to that anger. They let that go, and they, again, roll it on to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going to let you deal with that. Again, a trait we see in the life of Jesus. So the portrait that we have of meekness so far, based on this closest biblical parallel uh, in, in Psalm 37 um, to the third beatitude, is that it begins by trusting God, then commits its way to the Lord in confidence that he will use his power and mercy to do good for us. Then it waits patiently and quietly for the outcome. And finally, it does not give way to anger and fretfulness when faced with opposition and setbacks. Okay? It's, it's clear already from Psalm 37 that we're answering our question that meekness very much has a lot to do with God and God's character. Okay? It consists in a peaceful freedom from fretful anger that is based on trusting God, rolling all our ways onto God, and waiting patiently for God. Meekness has a ton to do with God. And so uh, we've talked about what meekness is, but now I want to add some detail to it. So we looked at the life of Jesus. Now I want to look at somebody else in the Bible who displayed meekness, okay? And so we're going to talk about Moses. So if, if you want to turn to Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. 
all right? And it describes an occasion where Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses severely. Does anybody know what they're criticizing Moses over? Okay, if you don't. Yes, over his wife, because uh, he had married a Cushite woman, okay? So let's go ahead and read verses, uh, Numbers 12, verses 1 through 4. Again, if anybody feels comfortable reading, uh, feel free to. If not, I can read. Anybody want to? Yep. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And, and they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. That's perfect. You can, you can stop there for now. Uh, I, I always laugh at this because who is writing this? Moses. Moses. <laughs> but it's the word of God. So Moses is telling everybody that he's the meekest man on the face of the earth. <laughs> but I just, I, I've heard, I heard a pastor say that when I was in a sermon once, and I was like, that is really funny, but it's true. I mean, it's not going to be a lie in the word of God. So I'm like, way to go, Moses, man. You've got to be really meek if you can write about your meekness. And not, uh, but what, what happens in the following verses is that the Lord rebukes Miriam and Aaron and, and vindicates Moses uh, pretty severely. Uh, and, and, and Moses is vindicated. And now, what is the point of calling Moses meek right here in this context, okay? Moses is right between bitter opposition and God's vindication, okay? And so I think the point is that meekness means committing your cause to God and not needing to defend yourself, okay? Not needing to defend yourself. Just where we would expect the text to tell us that Moses said something to justify himself against the charge of Aaron and Miriam, the text says uh, he was the meekest man on earth. Moses doesn't say a word. Instead, he waits patiently for the Lord. He frets not over these critical words, and God comes to his defense. Okay, so we can add to our portrait of meekness this. Not only does it trust God and commit its way to God and waits patiently for God and refrains from anger, it also refrains from revenge and defensiveness. Meekness loves to give place to wrath and leave its vindication with God. Now, let's talk about this again, okay? Meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. This is something that I have had to grow in over the past 10 years of being a pastor a ton. When I was in my early 20s, I did not do well when people would lash out. And when you're naturally on stage all the time doing different things, whether it's music or preaching, uh, people naturally want to give you feedback sometimes and sometimes it's really great feedback and you need to be willing to accept that and go, this person is for me, they're trying to help me. And sometimes it's just harsh and probably unnecessary. And so it, it's easy to build up walls. Everybody in this room has probably had that moment sometime where someone's given them criticism. And sometimes it's been good criticism that they need to hear. And sometimes it's just been a really poor cho choice of words and the person didn't think before they talked. But whatever it is, whatever that criticism is, the meek person has to handle that well without lashing back. Okay, uh, another example of meekness, let's, let's turn to the book of James. 
Um, James 1, 19, 20, and 21. So James 1, verses 19, 20, and 21. Anders, will you read? I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, you didn't take it, huh? James 1, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So James has, has two kinds of people in mind here. And by the way, in, in the, uh, the version I have, it says uh, rank growth of wickedness. And I, I just love that visual there. Anyway, uh, James has in mind two kinds of people here. He pictures, on one hand, the person who does not like to listen to what other, people's ha other people have to say, especially if they speak with authority. Okay? The person is quick to speak and quickly becomes angry if the words of others cross his opinion or call his behavior into question. He is not receptive to the word of God. He filters it through his own desires and receives it selectively, if at all. Okay? The reason I'm saying that is I get sad when I look at my past and I just define myself. And we probably all have moments like that when we're going through scripture. Um, but on the other hand, Here's the meek person. James pictures another kind of person, the person who is slow to speak and quick to listen. The person recognizes the limitations of his knowledge, right? And, and how wrong his thinking can be at times. And he's eager to listen and learn anything valuable that he can. If he hears something new or contrary to his own view, his first reaction is not anger. He is slow to anger. He listens and considers. And when it comes to the word of God, he receives it with meekness. And so that's something, like I said, I've had to work on in my life. I totally, in the past, have been somebody who can jump on the defensive and get upset when someone disagrees with me. And I think I'm right. Quick to hear and slow to speak is hard. But as James reminds us, sinful anger, sinful anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And so here's a, another characteristic of meekness, and that is teachability. To receive the word with meekness means that we don't have a resistant, hostile spirit when we are being taught. It doesn't mean that we're gullible. It doesn't even mean that we never get angry about what some people teach, right? Verse 19 says that we should be slow to anger, not that we should never experience anger. Okay? Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am meek and lowly in heart. But in Mark 3, 5, it says he became angry and grieved at the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. And in Matthew 21, 12, and 13, he drove the merchants out of the temple and turned over the tables. There is such thing as righteous anger. I've experienced that before when I have heard other pastors preaching a false gospel. It gets me frustrated 
that so many people are sitting under the Joel Osteens of the world, hearing that they can have everything they want. You're just two prayers away from this. No, that's not what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, it's okay for us to want to defend God like that, even though God doesn't need defending. That's a righteous anger. Because what? The, the holiness of God and God being given the glory is being trampled on in those moments. And so there, there is such thing as a, a, a righteous anger. Meekness does not mean the absence of passion and conviction for the glory of God. But it does mean that we don't have hair triggers. It does mean that our disposition is one of readiness to listen and learn. It does mean that we are slow to write a person off, slow to condemn, slow to anger. Okay? So now let's look at the full portrait of biblical meekness. Let's put it all together. Let's stand back and see if we can see uh, this all together. Meekness begins when we put our trust in God. Then because we trust him, we commit our way to him. We roll on to him our anxieties, our frustrations, our plans, our relationships, our jobs, our health. And then we wait patiently for the Lord. We trust in his timing and his power and his grace to work things out in the best way for the glory, for his glory and for our good. And the result of trusting God and rolling our anxieties onto God and waiting patiently for God is that we don't give way to quick and fretful anger. But instead, like Moses, we give place to wrath and hand our cause over to God and let him vindicate us if he chooses. And then, as James says, in this quiet confidence, we are slow to speak and quick to listen. We become reasonable and open to correction. Meekness loves to learn, and it counts the corrections of a friend as precious. I got that from John MacArthur. That is great. It counts the corrections of a friend as precious. And when it must say a critical word to a person caught in sin or error, I love this. It speaks from the deep conviction of its own susceptibility to sin and its utter dependence on the grace of God. There are going to be times in your life when you have to correct somebody. And what happens when we correct somebody sometimes? Part of us that kind of enjoys that. Because that pride starts to build up inside of us just a little bit. Maybe it's not overflowing, but got to go correct my brother John here real quick. John, I love you, but I got to set you straight, right? You've seen people that have been like that. They're the first people to want to correct everybody, right? And this is saying, no, you don't, you don't do it out of that. You don't, when, when you do have to correct somebody, you don't do it out of, out of pridefulness. You do it out of conviction that you struggle with that same thing. That you are not above that. You are not above being sinful. So it's not coming out of a place of pride. It's coming out of a place of, of, of wanting to honor God. And so correcting someone in that way. Meekness begins with God and ends with God. Okay? And therefore, whenever we see a person like that, we give God the glory. And the aim of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is fulfilled. Right? We give God the glory. Now, before we, uh, we, we end this and we're going to have some table discussion, I want to talk real quick about the second part of this beatitude, for they shall inherit the earth, okay? What effect uh, does Jesus want this promise to have on the disciples? I, I think the answer is that he wants the promise to give them strength to continue their meekness, okay? This is the way the promise works in verse 12. 
Re rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in other words, the promise of great reward gives the disciples strength to endure, endure persecution with joy. And I think the promise of the meek, that the meek shall inherit the earth, is intended by the Lord to give us strength to endure in meekness when our natural inclination would be to defend ourselves or retaliate or give way to anger. Okay? There's a, a passage in 1 Corinthians 3. You don't have to turn there right now if you don't want to. But 1 Corinthians 3 that uh, really helped me as I was going through the study really be able to see uh, how the promise of inheriting the earth gives strength to our meekness. Okay? It's, it's 1 Corinthians 3 verses 18 through 23. And uh, Paul tries to help us uh, overcome pride, okay? And the Corinthians were boasting in different teachers and their worldly wisdom. And Paul says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So let no one boast of men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. Now notice the logic in verse 21. Let no man boast of men, for all things are yours. Well, what are followers of Christ? We are co-heirs. So one of the things mentioned in the world is, is, is do not boast, okay? Do not boast because the world is yours. So if that makes sense to you, John Piper, he said it like this. You don't need the vain pleasures of one-upmanship because God has already made you an heir to the world. Would I feel the need to brag that my house is bigger than yours if I knew that my father owned the city and I was the beneficiary of his will? That's powerful. Being meek requires us to remember who we are. We are God's children. We are heirs to the throne through what Christ did on the cross. So the challenge this week is to lay down our pride and replace it with meekness. It's going to be challenging. So I want us to be able to have some time here as we've got about 15 minutes left. I want us to be able to have some group discussion. Uh, again, I'm going to tell you another uh, problem that I struggle with. My small group knows this at home very well. I don't like awkward silence. But I'm the type of person, if there is awkward silence, I will fill it so it doesn't feel awkward. <laughs> so here's what I'm asking. I, I'm asking for you to have discussions at your groups tonight. And I'll give you some, some things that I want you to answer. But I'd like everybody to have a chance to talk. And it doesn't have to be a ton. But I want you to take a moment and to think about this. It's, it's going to be simple. <laughs> But make sure you don't hog all the time, okay? I'm talking to myself. These are the questions I want you to ask. What part of meekness that we talked about tonight do you struggle with? What, what were the few things, or maybe it was one of them, that really jumped out when we went through this, okay? Are you is it having trust in God? Are you quick to anger? Are you holding on to bitterness? Do you receive criticism well? Uh, do you compare everything to the world? What part of what we talked tonight is your struggle... And then you know that your homework for that is going to be to grow in that area. That God uses his word to call us out on these things. And nobody here is the perfect meek person. Okay? Not one person in the room that can say, yeah, 
kind of graduated from that already. I'm on the Beatitude floor. Uh, no, there's nobody. We're, we're all growing in this. So uh, be vulnerable tonight. Be honest with it. But everybody just take uh, the next 10 minutes, and then we'll close in prayer.